Um, I do want to say I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I have been looking forward to this weekend for a good long time. Both I like, I look forward to the opportunity to speak, but also I just to, to sit here and to be here and to get to know some who I haven't known before, to be with those who I have known before. It's, it really is a, a blessing and a, and a wonderful opportunity, and I appreciate it. Um, topic of our lesson is the truth about temptation. It comes from James chapter 1. It would be of great value to you to be able to open up your Bibles to that passage. We're just going to work through a passage, uh, James chapter 1. We'll start in verse 13. Um, before we get there, I'm reminded of a passage, a couple passages in Matthew that, that have been, I don't know, they, they've been particularly impactful to me in my life. So there's this time when Jesus cast a demon out of a man, and you might be aware of it, and, and there are people who are like making all kinds of like decisions about who they thought Jesus was based upon that. Like, it's an amazing thing to have him just cast this demon out of a man. And, and some people are saying, well, he's the son of David. And like, they, they're really, like, amazed by what Jesus was able to do. But then there's this group, and, and you're familiar with them. We know them as the Pharisees. And instead of being amazed by what Jesus did, they actually, like, lied about him. And they said, well, he doesn't do that by the power of God, but by the power of Beelzebul. It's a passage you're probably familiar with. In which, from that, you keep reading, Jesus tells a little parable. It's about a tree. He says, look, here's the truth about trees. You can tell whether they're good or whether they're bad by their fruit. Right? So, if you go to a tree and you get good fruit from it, you say, well, that's a good tree. And if you go and you get bad fruit from it, so that's a bad tree. And, and, and Jesus says, I believe it's in chapter 12 and verse 34, you know, um, a tr- or a, you know a tree by its fruit, and, and, and he relates that to like our words, that like our words come from our heart. Right? And, and they reveal who a man is. And so like, I don't know about you, but that was, a, that, was, that was a particularly powerful passage in my life. I remember a time when I was quite a bit younger than I am now. I was actually in college. And I don't know, I've always liked to be funny, you know, and to goof around a little bit and to say things to, you know, tease people or whatever. Um, and I had some friends. I remember one time saying something, and it really hurt one of their feelings. It was... It was it was a, a female friend of mine. I was just goofing around, and I, I, I said something that I thought was funny. She found it hurtful. And for a while, I was mad at her. I was like, get over yourself, you know? Like, like don't be so sensitive. Like, I was just joking. I was just goofing around. Don't get so mad about it. And it was about, about that time that I was actually reading through this passage and it struck me, I guess it hit me, we might say like a ton of bricks, that I realized Jesus thought differently about that scenario. Jesus said, no, your words indicate who you are. If you say hurtful words, it means you're a hurtful person. 
If you say mean words, it means you're a mean person. If you say foul words, it means you're a foul person. If you say vile words, it means you're a vile person. If you say perverted words, it means you're a perverted person. If you say racist words, it means you're a racist person. Like, you get the idea that like the words you say are the indicator of the person that you are. And, and I'll be honest, like, I didn't like the way that that painted me. And it hurt. Because Jesus said my words were telling on me. A couple passages later, a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus once again, you know, I guess in conflict with the group of the Pharisees. And, and what happened this time is that Jesus' disciples were eating with unwashed hands. And, and the Pharisees came and they just challenged Jesus basically about tradition, right? Why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And, and there's this whole section about traditions, and I'm not going to dig into all that, but... It allowed Jesus to teach a message that, once again, I think is very powerful, similar type of thing. Where Jesus said, look, it's, it's, not, it's not the food that you eat that defiles you. It's not what goes into you that, that defiles you. Rather, it's, it's what comes out of you that defiles you. In, in, in John, Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20, Jesus would say, uh, it's out of the heart that precedes murder and adulteries and sexual immoralities, evil thoughts, um, false witness, slander. All this stuff comes from the heart, and Jesus says, that's what defiles you. It's because it's the things you do that tell us who you are. And again, we like to get around that sometimes, right? We're like, well, okay, I know I did this thing, but really deep down, I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus is like, no, like, what you do tells me who you are. It's your heart that makes you do what you do. It's your heart that makes you say what you say and act the way you act and not do the things that you should do and, and, and do the things that you shouldn't do. Your heart is the best indicator of who you are. It's what's inside of you that produces what comes out of you. And Jesus like taught this way. And, and in a large part, I think our passage from, from James chapter 1 is going to teach the very same thing. And so we're talking about this word temptation. What is temptation? Interesting, the, the, the Greek word, and you don't guess you have to remember this, it, it's, it's pyrazo. And I always struggle a little bit like when I want to talk about you know, the original languages because you don't want to be confusing. At the same time, it is rather important. And I think in this passage, it's rather important um, because I, I believe that there's somewhat of a wordplay that's going on here. And you don't really see it when you're reading in English, but in, in, in the Greek language, the, the, the word, the root word, you have a noun form and the, the verbal form of it, but like the same root word is being used in a couple of different ways. Okay, so there's actually a lot of different ways that this word could be understood. Two of them are of great importance to us. The first one is this, that, that, that pyrazo can mean 
to endeavor to discover the nature or character of something by testing. Now think about that. Does God ever do that? I think he does. I mean, I think we're pretty told pretty specifically God does that. Right? I mean, that's what he did to Abraham, right? He was testing him. He gave him this, this, this challenge, this trial, you might say, like this, this real challenge for him to do, to offer his son. And Abraham had a choice to make. He had a decision to make. And God was testing him. But sometimes the word can mean something else. Sometimes the word can mean to entice to improper behavior. And I think that that's kind of the sense of the word in which we're going to be talking about it. You say, well, does God do that? And James will say, no, God doesn't do that. And so, like, when you're reading through James, starting in chapter, really chapter 1, down through our passage, you're going to read this word trials. And, and what you're going to discover is that, like, trials are something that people go through. God allows them. And what, what God wants you to do is to handle it a certain way. And yet the same root word is used a little bit later. And it's like, no, God doesn't do that. And I think what's supposed to happen, like we, again, like we, we missed it sometimes just in our English translations, but, but a, a, a Greek reader would read this and these, this same word being used in this different way. It was somewhat of like a word play that's going on. And I think what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to like meditate upon it. Think about it. What does that mean? In a sense, God does it. In a sense, you're not supposed to say God does it. How do I handle that? I don't know. Like, I, I could be wrong about this, but like, I, I, think, I think we're just supposed to meditate on it and think about it and like, like, like mull it over and like de- decide for ourselves. Like, like what? Decide for ourselves might not be the right way to phrase that, but like... like Reach a conclusion. What does it mean? God does it. God doesn't do it. Um, and I'll tell you what I think it means, for what that's worth. Um, I think you see sometimes in life, two people go through the same situation and handle it very different. I'm sure you've seen that. Right? That you're put through various trials. And you could talk about those in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think in my experience, I've been in, in ministry now for a number of years, and I've dealt with a lot of different scenarios that, that people have, have been through and been put through, and, and some of them are tragic, and, and, and certainly many of them are things that I, I pray and pray will never happen to me and my family. I've, I've seen a, a woman um, deal with her son having brain cancer and dying. That's hard, right? I mean, I, I pray that that would never happen to me or, or you or, or any, like that's, that's, a, that's a tragedy. I've seen others who have lost children at very young ages. And, 
And I've also been mindful of the fact that they haven't always handled that the same. I know, I know some who go through those, those terrible trials and they, they get mad at God. They blame God. They leave God. Oftentimes that, that leads them to, to do other sinful things in their lives. And then I've seen others who have, have gone through trials and, and testings of sort in the same type of way. And, and I certainly don't want to make the argument that, that God caused the child to die. But, but you get what I'm saying? That, like, that they go through the trial and they do what James has talked about to this point so far in James. They lead their mind. They, they, they almost force themselves to think of it as like a good thing because it's allowing them to grow stronger and to produce faith and to become better, stronger children of God because of it. And like the two people went through a very similar type of situation. One turned to sin and ungodliness and another turned to God and strengthened through God and actually drew closer to him through it. Um, and... And I think what James is saying is not that God never allows you to go through trial. If you think specifically about James's situation and what's going on there, Dan talked about it just a moment ago, there seems to be like almost this class war where people are being mistreated because of their clothing and mistreated because of the things that they have. And you have the rich and the strong and the powerful who are, who are oppressing them. And what happens is like there's this fighting going on. And, and the question then becomes, okay, well, well, how do you handle this? When you're going through a trial, when, when you're being mistreated, when life gets really, really hard, like, how are you going to handle that? And what James will say is there's two ways to handle it. You can draw closer to God through it. Or you can allow it to lure you away from him. To pull you away from him. To open you up to actually fighting back and, and, and murdering, as, as Dan pointed out earlier, and slandering, as is mentioned often in James, and oppressing and, and, and lusting and all the different things that are happening. And, and, and what James is saying is, if you don't do the first option, but you do the second option, don't, don't you say, that God is the reason. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. I think it's a legitimate question when you're going through a trial to ask, why am I going through this trial? I don't, not, 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 not all trials are brought on by God, but... I think the Bible does teach that God will put you through trials. And I don't think it's completely inappropriate to go through a trial and say, God's trying me. But if you take that trial and, and you 
Let it pull you away from him. Let you act in some ungodly, immoral, sinful way. Don't you then point your finger and say, God is the reason. Because God, God didn't do that. You chose that. Don't, don't let anyone say, when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Why? Well, because God cannot be tempted by evil. Now, does God go through challenging things? I think so. The Bible tells us that he's grieved. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that though people shouldn't test him, they do. Um, that, that God can be tried. But God never allows that trial to cause him, to lead him, to lure him into some sort of evil. He's, not, he's never tempted to do evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. God, here in a moment, we're going to see that like, there's this picture that James is painting. James is full of illustrations. And there's this paint, picture that James is going to paint in a moment, almost like a guy fishing and like throwing in bait, you know, and luring a fish in. And, and the idea is that like, when, when you are being lured into sin, when sin is that like shiny object that you're chasing after, it's the thing you want, it's what you're going after, it's what you're striving for. Don't say, don't believe, don't think that God is the one fishing, right? He's not luring you in to sin. God doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll find out here in a moment, if I'm just like skip ahead a minute, like, God doesn't want you to be evil. God wants you to be good. He's going to actually give you things, gifts, to, to help you and benefit you in being a good, moral, right, godly person. And never in any situation is he trying to tempt you or lure you away from him or to pull you into doing evil. That's not what God does. It's not, what, it's, it's not his character. And it shouldn't be yours. God doesn't do evil. God does good. God created you in his image. He doesn't want you to do evil. He wants you to do good. And so, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, not by God, Interestingly, he doesn't even say by Satan or anything. Like he says, like he's lured and enticed by his own desire. It's almost like it's almost like James was familiar with the teachings of Jesus that we talked about. Remember, your words come from your heart. Your actions come from your heart. It's what's inside of you that makes you act the way you act. If you go through trial, if you are being oppressed by somebody, and instead of drawing closer to God from it, you say something like, well, I'm going to fight them back. I'm going to kill them, or I'm going to steal from them or I'm going to hurt them, or I'm going to slander against them, or, or I'm going to gossip, or I'm going to do all the different things that James will talk about throughout this book. It's not God that's doing that. 
it's you. Because other people have been put through the same thing that you've been put through, and they've actually drawn closer to God. They've become stronger. They went through the trial, the test, and, and they came out on the other side more godly, more moral, a better godly person. You took the same thing and you, because you have evil in your heart and you have these evil desires, you were drawn away. But make no mistake about it. God did not make you or lure you or tempt you or try to get you to do that evil thing. You chose to do it. Because inside of you, there's a problem. There's a heart that's not set on what it should be set upon. Then, when desire, or sorry, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Almost a, another illustration here, this time of, of what we call like the birthing process. Um, when sin is conceived, or desire, when it has conceived, when your desire conceives, it's like, like your desire is almost like a woman that becomes pregnant. And the seed is that, you know, that, that temptation that, that is growing and what happens is it, it eventually is you are being led by this temptation, not that God put within you, but, but, but your own desire. It's, it's bearing this thing out and that, that eventually produces this thing we know as sin. And, and sin, when it grows and grows and it is brought forth, what happens if sin brings forth death, it's again like, like I don't know. Like this is very reminiscent to me of like like the the the, the, the Genesis chapter three situation, right? Where like 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 there's this there's this fruit and like like they're 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 tempted to do it, and and, and the Satan speaks to the woman, and, and you've probably heard this whole thing played out before, where the Satan speaks to the woman, and the woman speaks to the man, and the woman eats, the man eats, and then then God goes to the man, he's like, what'd you do? And God's like, huh? Or I'm like, not me. You know, it's a woman that you gave me, and then God goes to the woman, and and once again she's like, huh? Not me. It's the serpent. Um, what was it? Well, deep down. They desired something, and they did it. What happens when sin is conceived, is brought forth, and is fully grown? It brings death. But here's the, here's the important thing, and the, the passage will go on to say, do not be deceived, beloved brothers. You know, it's interesting, like, like what we've been talking about is what God doesn't do, and what we will talk about is what God does do. And I think James is saying, don't be deceived about either of those things. What you need to be aware of is that God has an outcome that he desires for you, and for me, and for all people. The outcome is life. It is not death. God doesn't want death for you. 
God's not trying to lure you or entice you to do things that will bring forth death. God has overwhelmingly striven to make sure you have life presented for you. And don't ever deceive yourself into thinking otherwise. Don't think about God in any other way. God is a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and compassionate. Don't think that there is a God in heaven who is desiring you to do evil or is desiring to kill you or is desiring for death to come upon you. God wants life for you. And the problem is sometimes our own desires fight against the will of God. And and James says, don't be deceived. God is not the reason that you sin. He's not the reason that you're enticed to sin. God is not the one luring you into sin. As a matter of fact, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. A lot is being said here, but here's a thought. What's a good and a perfect gift? You know, I think the way we think of good gifts and perfect gifts sometimes like gifts that we like. You know, I mean, that's what I think is sometimes like on, you know, on Christmas morning or, or, you know, birthdays or something like that. You know, I've been wanting a certain thing and, and then I open up my, my gifts and my wife got me that certain thing. I'm like, that's a good gift, right? Because she gave me what I wanted. Um, I don't, don't think of a gift that is good and perfect in that way. It's not always what you want. I'd rather think that like the way you should think about a good and perfect gift is, is very much the opposite of what they were saying God gave them. What they were saying is that God had given them something that would lead them to sin. And James is saying, no, God's not ever like throwing things before you to lure you to sin. What God is actually giving you is something good, something right, something perfect. That is something that won't lead you to sin, but will lead you to him. It's something that God is trying to lure you into, to following him and to be good and right and moral. Like, like this this. this group of people that James is writing to, they're fighting and, and they're, they're conniving and they're slandering each other and they're gossiping about each other and they're doing all these evil things to each other. What's a good gift? Something that will make you stop all that. Something that will lead you and teach you and instruct you in a way that will make you realize the folly and the foolishness of, of the behavior you're participating in is something that's not going to lead you to sin. A good gift is what God gives so that he leads you to righteousness, that he leads you to what is right and good. Um, and then there's this whole business about like it comes down from the father of lights. Uh, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And I, I'm just, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not 100% positive that I know what that means, like in its entirety. 
you know, there's, there's, there's the suggestion that, like, it could relate back to, like, Genesis chapter 1, where God, like, literally made the lights, right? And, like, he's the father of the lights. And, and that's true. Um, you know, there's, there's also this, this thought that as you're reading through James, you, you'll notice, like, there's a, a really a pretty strong comparison to, like, the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of the things that happen to the Sermon on the Mount, James kind of talks about. Um, and one of the things that Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount is, you are the light of the world. And so he's the father of lights. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, what I do think I know is this. Is that light can be changed. Light can be blocked. We talk about things like shadow. We talk about things like shade. Light can be redirected and moved and, and things along those lines. But with the father of lights, there is no variation. There's no change. Look, in the very beginning, when God first created man, he said, let us make man in our image. God has won, from the time man was created, there is this belief and in, in this, this understanding that man is supposed to be like God. That is, they're supposed to be good and moral and upright. They're supposed to learn the ways of God and follow after him. That's what God wanted in the very beginning. And make no mistake about it, that's what God wants now. God wants you and me to be godly, to be moral, to love, to, to not be the slanderers and the back talkers and the vile and the immoral and the covetous and the murderous people that they were being. God wants them to be good. It's what he wanted when he created them. So what he wants now. And don't think. Don't think that God's going to lure you or try to tempt you away from being what God does and has always wanted you to be. Godly. Instead, what he does is he gives gifts. All the good ones. All the great ones, all the gifts that will lead you to him, that's what God's doing. He's not giving you the things to pull you away. He's giving you things to pull you to him. In which case he goes on and says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So what has God given? What will God give? What good and great gift will God give that will not lead people away from him, but lead you to him? Well, namely, the word of truth. It's what God gave. I think Dan was talking about it like, don't be double-minded in your way is how we phrased it earlier. Um, 
God is giving you instruction about how to be who he wants you to be. Namely, the first fruits of his creatures. Now again, that's another phrase that could, could be taken in a lot of different ways. I'll tell you again what I think. I think it's the idea that like the first fruits is always the idea that that's like what's offered to God. That's what you give to God. You don't give to God the second, the third, and the fourth fruits. You give God the first fruits, namely the best. And so, like, of all of God's creatures, of all the things God made, of all the people, of all of creation, the creation was made by God in what he wants. He wants you to offer yourself to him. Not... Not, not as, God's not giving you things to pull you away. Like, he wants you to be the first fruit, the, that which is offered to him. He wants you to give your life to him and to dedicate yourself to him, to be his image, to live the good, godly, moral, excellent life that, that, that he is striving to get you and I to lead. Um, he's not giving you things to lead you away from that. He's giving you good gifts to, to bring you to that. Namely, the word of truth. Now it's not for me to discuss. But he's going to go on and say, like, if that's going to happen, you've got to not just be hearers of it. You're going to have to do it. Right? That... They, 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 that it can't any longer be your evil desires within your heart leading you to act. It has to be the word of truth that he will say, actually, you firmly implant with inside of you, and it's through that that you act. And when you do that, um, you'll no longer be oppressing the poor, stealing from the rich, murdering, and, and, and slandering and back-talking and doing all the vile things that people do. When you take God's word, you implant it in your heart, and no longer is it your evil desires that is propelling your life, but it's actually the word of truth that's within you, and that's propelling your life. What's going to happen is that your behavior and your actions are going to be completely different. So... The question, I guess, that, that we all have to ask ourselves is this. What's within me? What, what makes me tick? What makes me act? What makes me speak the way I speak? Which may, what makes me treat people the way I treat them? What makes me handle situations that I'm put in the way I handle the situations I'm put in? Am I doing what I desire? Am I doing what makes me feel better? Does someone hurt me and so I, I feel better if I hurt them back? Or... Am I taking this good and wonderful and perfect gift that God has given me, the word of truth, and planting it within my heart, and saying from now on, 
that's going to dictate the way I speak to people, the way I treat people, the way I act. Make no mistake about it, when you and I, and, and when we act in inappropriate ways, sinful ways, it's not because of what God has done. It's because of who I am. And God's giving us gifts to make sure that's not who we are anymore. Let us receive his gifts, plant it within us, and let us live as first fruits among his creatures.